People are going to follow your example, right? And sometimes children will follow you even when you don't want them to. What kind of example are we living? We're grateful for our, our twin girls, and they're really an inspiration. They share a lot of deep wisdom sometimes, and it's pretty neat. And uh, I thank God that we have the chance to fellowship with all of you, and that those of you that have remembered us and prayed for us, now you can see some of the fruits of your prayers. We are here and we're alive. That's an answer to prayer. We have our twin girls, now three years old. That's an answer to prayer that they're here. It's an answer to prayer that they're alive. So um, I pray that you guys would also be humble and grateful that we're alive today. We never know what could come up. There could actually be something that could sweep over the world and kill most of the world. We read in the book of Revelation again and again and again and again that there was a quarter of the earth, a third of the earth killed, and a third of the earth killed, and a third of the earth killed. And when it seems like nothing else could be destroyed or killed, again, judgment after judgment comes. And God talks about three sore judgments. Do you know what those are? Pestilence, war, and famine. And those three are mentioned many times in parallels in scriptures. Pestilence, which means plagues or, um, you know, pandemics. Wars. You know what a war is. <laughs> and famine. Isn't it quite interesting that these things are mentioned in parallels in at least three different places in the Bible, if not four? And they are spoken of God's three sore judgments. And so I think that as the children of God, we need to take very clear note. God has given us a lot of clarity and example. And we've had a lot of refreshing in our meetings and our times to think about who we are and why we are and what we are. Um, some people had narrowed me in on some certain phrases, the idea of a doctrinal statement or um, conviction structure or um, constitution of our families and so on. There's a lot of different things that we could say and we could branch out on, but really your personal life and practical convictions, your practical convictions, you know, the hundred things you do in your life and the hundred things you don't. Not necessarily a law or rule onto others unless they see it, then they say, that's good, that's true, and I should do that. We've talked about an example in that way. And so I'm very blessed to be with you again. And happy Father's Day. I've only been a father for three years now, so I get to celebrate that like, yeah, I survived. You survived. Most of you have survived much longer than I have with much more, many more children, and the children are still alive and doing good. We're alive, and we're doing good. So that's a miracle. We've had a lot of dramas, a lot of excitements, and there's something of uh, the love of God and nurturing and caring for these helpless little babes. Our, our, one of our girls was two and a half pounds at birth, two and a half pounds the other one was three pounds. And so they were let out of the hospital after three days. And so we're feeding them with little drippers and we're thinking, God help these little children. God help these little children. And we could hardly get a few drips in their mouth and sometimes we'd be feeding them, feeding them, feeding them and they'd vomit. It's like, oh. And um, it's pretty intense. But sadly, sometimes that's what we need from the Lord. We're really anemic. We're really sick. We're not eating properly. Our spiritual life is sick and dry and wearying, and God uses some, something to really stir us and wake us up. Sometimes we don't see how serious and devastating the situation is. 
to cause the babies to live. Uh, when they're born prematurely, they give them a quick injection, which clears up the lungs, but also disturbs the eyes and the eye development. So they were being tested continually for ROP. They would take these little babies and they would strap them down in a straight jacket, basically a, a tight swaddle, and then they'd bind their head and hold them. And then they would open their eyes with a little pry, and then they would use a little spoon, a very small spoon, and they would press on the eyeball. And the child would scream until they couldn't scream anymore, until they gagged, and then the screaming stopped, and the crying stopped, and they were just kind of petrified. They had to do that at least, what, four or five times. That's very heart-wrenching to watch as a parent. But we know the necessity and good of it. They're looking to see if the blood vessels are properly developing. And if not, then we have to do a surgery. And sometimes we have to do those things that are hard. They're painful. They're not comfortable. But we know the severity of the situation. And I pray that you would have a spiritual vision and you would give the energy to a spiritual vision because your money and your job and all the other things mean absolutely nothing to God compared to your duty to love him. Love yourself in that light and love your family in that light and love others in that light. Beloved, nothing else matters. If you waste your time and energy, mind and money on everything of this world, of your work and of your job and of your responsibilities there and so on, and you neglect your own spiritual life, you die and sin and go to hell. And all the treasures you've heaped up will be a fire against you, shall bear witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire, the book of James says. We're very blessed in America, even to our ruin. When the devil can't fight us to quit, he'll put us to sleep. If he can't knock you off the ladder, he'll help you to the top of the ladder so he can just push you off in the end. Be careful to take heed unto yourself. We've been sharing this again and again in the nature of conviction. Who we are, what we are, why we are, how that's communicated to others, not merely in our words, but in every aspect of our life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, again, we give you thanks that we are here in this place to fellowship with you. We are here to rejoice and to worship, and we even have a holiday of Father's Day, and we acknowledge that you are the great and almighty Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have entrance and access into your presence. Lord, that we have boldness and confidence to come to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and grace and find help in the time of need. I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that you'll be glorified in this place. I pray that you would shake us, Lord, because we know that time is coming. The times of afflictions wherein all that can be shaken will be shaken. And I pray that there would be a deep sifting and shaking. Lord Jesus, as you said to Peter, Satan has desired to sift thee as wheat is sifted. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And after you restored strength in your brethren, I pray, Lord Jesus, we would take very seriously your purpose of purging and the seriousness of sifting and how serious Satan was to sift, how he wanted to even destroy and devour if he could, but you chose to use it or allow it as a purging. And Lord Jesus, we're being tested with prosperity. Are we going to be persevering when we don't feel the pinch? 
We're tested with comforts and pleasures. We're tested with freedoms and, and even restrictions that we don't like. There's so many different tests to us physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, from friends, from family, from leaders, from governments, from nations, from pressures in the world and all of these different aspects of this world and more than that, the spiritual world. But sometimes in the fiercest battles, people grow weary in well-doing, sometimes in the comforts and pleasures and abundance of idleness. For we remember the sins of the sister Sodom. Lord, an abundance of idleness, fullness of bread, whiteness of teeth, no care for the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, the needy, no care for others in practical love. For this is pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father, to visit the fatherless and the widow and the affliction and to love and care for others in need. God, these things are very simple before us. Practical application of scriptural truth to love others. And Lord Jesus, we know that we are going to give an account for those in our family. We're going to give an account for those we come in contact with. We're going to give an account for what we've done with our time. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to search our hearts now. Give us grace, Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be wise fathers as our Father in heaven is wise. And that we'd be full of prayer as you commanded. When you pray, enter into your closet and pray to thy Father which seeth in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And again, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray there'd be a deep sobriety in our hearts concerning the reality of your fatherhood, of your purpose, your power, your preservation, and the conviction of your spirit to lead us in the narrow path. And I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that everyone here would sense the enormity of your glory, that we would see you as the great father full of provision and care, and yet we'd be sobered to watch for the evils that we have been promised in these last days. Help us, Lord, and speak for your glory. We give you praise and thanks in the name of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Amen. Amen. Well, I would like to share a few scriptures with you, and I'd like to give more time to pray over these things. We've talked a lot about the nature of leadership or the nature of our life and an example. Are we walking in obedience to the truth of God we know? Really, who are we? Can I ask that question, really, who are we? We really are who we really are when no one else is there to praise or curse us. And our genuine convictions would live out daily in the flesh. What do you believe? It's proven daily by your conduct. It's proven daily by how you use your time. Hello, you. It shows in your life what you really believe. Your conduct testifies of the guiding principles of your life. I've talked about writing them down. Solid, scriptural, absolute truths whereby you can go back and refer to. The nature of God, the character of God, the doctrines of truth that we stand on, the foundation of our faith and so on. And even more practically, the things that we've understood and believed about God. As I said, no matter where I would perceive a person or a church to be, I would like to start with some training and see, really, are you really sensitive to God? Do you really want to walk in the truth? Well, let's start truth by truth by truth by truth. Even though you might know them and agree with them all, let's go through them succinctly. Not merely saying, yes, I believe that, but 
What are the applications of that? Pure, clear, and raw, where no one could argue. And then are we applying that or not? Are we obeying that or not? And I would go through truth after truth, doctrine after doctrine. And then we'd have a communication, a network, a web of accountability. That you would really search your heart. Are you really led by the Spirit or not? Do you really love Jesus or not? It's very easy to look at one particular point at one particular time and feel that we're doing good. Because when we hear the areas we're not doing good, we get this kind of sentimental sadness. Like, oh, oh, Lord, forgive me. Oh, I don't have that in my life. Oh, just please forgive me. But we never give diligence to change it. Such hypocrisy and worldly sorrow is nothing but working death. If we just cry the tears over the sins we're committing and we're not changing conduct, there's a problem. Amen. And it's very easy for us to see really who we are by the fruits we bring forth. Because it's very easy for us to say, I believe in Jesus. He's the Son of God. He is my Lord and Savior. Right? You can't be saved unless you really believe on in your heart on the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he your Lord? Because if he's not your Lord, he is not your Savior. And continually in Scripture, these words are coupled together, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we have a duty to walk in this love relationship because he's given everything. He's communicated the covenant vows, and he said, just come unto me, surrender, submit. I will wash you clean. Just yield to me. Believe that I am and that I'm a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. Now, I know you know these truths. That's why I'm speaking a little quickly. If I speak too fast, just raise your hand, or if you have a question, Raise your hand, no problem. But I pray that you would take very seriously these simple truths that we know very well. Because we have a sweet blessing when we have men and women who are led by God. The example that that is in a family is priceless. Because it really starts in the individual life. The blessing or the boon, the blessing or the cursing. And if we're not walking with God in sincerity, honesty, and fruitfulness in the Spirit, it hurts our family. It might not hurt us as much, but it hurts our family very much. If we're selfish, it's not going to hurt us directly as much as often as it will definitely hurt our wife and our children. Don't take it for granted that you're a man of God just because you know the doctrines, because you can fight for a few points. It's not about a fighting about theory. It's a conduct of the Spirit. It's the wisdom of God that carries fruits with it. And we've talked about very many doctrines and even convictions and personal convictions and so on. And even the Scripture says that the Gentiles are even a law unto themselves because they might do something that is right and good and the conscience of the others will look and judge and say, that is good. Or woe unto you that will judge another. For with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you. Because if you know the good he should do, you should also do it. You know the thing that's bad that he's doing, you're condemned if you do it. Because God wrote the law in the heart and the conscience bearing witness. And our laws in the land weren't established by man. They were established on biblical principle. Because there's a solid, absolute law, universal Now man twists that and tries to break it down and tries to separate as far from God as possible because the law only touches outward conduct, but God touches the motive. So if you're going 35 and a 35 and you feel like, well, I'm doing really good, but in your heart you're angry and say, I hate these police. I know if I drive faster, they're going to give me a ticket. Then that's not obedience unto God. The law won't bust you. 
Well, God will say, what an attitude you have, my child. Okay, some of you didn't drive through those zones on the way here. Okay, well, remember last week when you were driving, right? And you're cruising along on the highway, and it's 85 here or something, and now all of a sudden you got to go down the narrow roads, and now you got a slow speed. How easy we can get very ornery about little things. And we might even obey the law with white knuckles. Okay, nobody's smiling much. So, okay, enough of the jokes. Okay, let's talk about things more practical, okay? How about husband and wife? Wife says, honey, could you please help me with it? You're like, mm, I'm doing what I want to do right now. We don't say that, do we? We don't say I'm doing what I want to be doing right now, but we really show it. We're like, mm, can't you do it? You do it yourself. Or, uh, uh, okay, I'll do it later, dear. But who we really are really impacts the family. Now, a wife might be understanding, and she's got her attitudes and issues, and you've got yours, and you can confess to each other, and you feel like you're doing all right because you forgive her, and she forgives you, and we're exercising Christ-likeness. And then your children come along, and now you bite and devour one another, and then you hurt the children also. And the children just go, ouch. And you're like, I'm sorry, dear. You know, we do it to each other all the time. And they're like, oh, okay, I guess this is how it goes. My little girls were fighting yesterday, and one was taking the other toy and fighting, and then the other one started crying. As I corrected both of them, I sat down, and the, the perpetrator, the one who caused the trouble, started wiping away the tears and moving the hair out of the other one's face. Well, now you're a little angel. Why didn't you think about that when you wanted what she had, and you wanted to take it by violence? I mean, it's amazing the sinful nature we have. But even after that, she's like, okay, I'm better now. You should be better, too. Move your hair and dry your I mean, three years old. How often are we really selfish like that? Beloved, your wife and husband might be able to forgive each other, but children bear a lot of pain and scars. Many of you have grown up in a good family. Many of you have grown up in a bad family. There's functional, and I don't know what that means, but there's dysfunctional, I know what that means. Okay? There's normal and there's abnormal. But I talked about a conviction of our life that carries out fruits, that passes on a lineage, a heritage. Who are we? Why are we? What are we? And as I talk to people about marriage, counseling, and so on, I help them to put together a vision of their life, what they desire, what really moves them, what excites them, what they're passionate about, and what they don't like, and what they want in a partner, and what they don't want in a partner, and whatever else, and help formulate a vision. And then when the two communicate, I say, now tell me about your, what do you see? Describe to me as in much detail as your imagination can pull up of what you want to see in your grandchildren. As much as you can think of and tell me. Tell me what do you want in their life. And then tell me what, how you think that's going to come about. Let's hear. Do you really, are you mature? Do you have a vision? Are you clear? I don't care about age. I'd be happy to bless an 18, 19-year-old couple if they had maturity, ready to enter into this serious covenant and be prayed up and prepared for those things that are ahead of them. I think age is quite insignificant. Some people are 30 years old and they're still as immature as a 12-year-old. I saw some 10-year-olds in America that are more mature than our 20-year-olds in India. Some of the people that I work close with. And it's like, oh, are you kidding me? But I'm going to ask you again, what are you really living for? What do you want to see? Do you have any vision for godliness? What do you want for yourself? Do you just want to see your children successful so we can say such and such and such and such? There was a great fiery preacher, Buck Singh, in India, and a lot of people got saved through his movements and so on. Uh, very strict brethren, like a Plymouth brethren, so they kind of threw off a lot of other things, but they kept the communion every week. That's essential. And um, 
believe in eternal security, unconditional. That was believed among many of them, but then it wasn't taught enough, so it kind of fell off the side in some of the churches. Thank God, because we don't believe in an absolute unconditional salvation. If you just say a prayer, now you're going to heaven. It's not quite like that. There's some life and fruit that must be in Jesus. Otherwise, you die in sin and go to hell. So interestingly, in meeting the fellowships, people would always come and tell me, oh, well, my son is, a, is an engineer, and my son is a doctor, and my daughter's an engineer, and my daughter's a doctor. And that was the testimony I heard from hundreds. I mean, okay, fine, there might have been 6,000 people at the conference or whatever, but they'd come up and praise their family based on the positions they held. Well, I suppose, okay, you're living in a poverty, you want your children to get up out of poverty, and um, I don't know. Fulfill the Indian dream, get to America. The American dream is like build a bigger house and put up a white picket fence or something. Now maybe it's the barbed wire fence. I don't know how you guys do these days. You'll have to share with me the, the new American dream, okay? So you, guys, <laughs> okay? so you guys can just share with me later what the new American dream is. But isn't it interesting that people actually, they, they gauge their life on really what they wanted to see. And I was continually pressed down when people would say, what are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to be after Bible training? Okay, now Bible training's done. Now get a life and grow up and be an example. And, you know, why don't you do something with your life? You should get some backup plan, basically, just in case the ministry can't pay you. I said, well, I know God and I trust him and I don't have an exit plan. I don't have a backup plan. I don't have a plan B. I have the plan to trust Jesus and his word and I'm going to trust and obey. And I don't care if I live in poverty because my vision is clear. My eyes are fixed and I don't care. Let the world run on in their money. God will guide and provide. Well, how do you know God is leading you to India? You're just going to waste your life. And Well, I said, I'm living in obedience right now. I'm living with my whole heart as for the glory of God. And that's how I can know and judge what God is leading in. And if he doesn't want me there, he will divert my path and lead me elsewhere. But as of now, this is what I believe. And so I say, if the Lord will, I should live and do this or that. What that means is in scripture, that scripture means we're not just living presumptuously that I just know what I'm going to do and I'm going to go here. I'm going to work and make money and have business. It's not that type of pride. And that's what God was rebuking. So if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. It's not something you have to say, I'm going to go to church if the Lord wills. It's that we are being proud and presumptuous for worldly things. And I'm just going to go and do business. I'm going to go into such a town, continue there a year, buy and sell and get gain. Woe unto you. You don't even know what will be on the morrow. Don't be so bold about your plans as to the secular nature of this world. But I'll say to you, and I don't even have to say if God wills, I'm going to love him by the grace of God. Amen. I'm not going to stop and say, well, if the Lord wills, Beloved, I pray that you would really be resolved in your heart. If there's a fire burning outside, you're not going to say, I'm not going to fall in if the Lord wills. Well, don't play in the fire. Beloved, if you don't want a fire burning your house, don't start fires in your house. You don't want the devil destroying your house, then don't put the fires there. Don't let the devil in. Amen? Gatekeepers. (laughs) Watchmen. We talked about the life and conduct of these men of God, like Paul, day and night for three years, warning with tears, saying that there shall be false prophets that will come in among you. Men will come in like grievous wolves, not sparing the flock. And even from your own selves also shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away men after themselves. Wow, what a testimony, day and night. Many people can't even bear one day a week in church. 
Well, I suppose in our modern day preaching, I don't even want to send 20 minutes in most of these modern day churches. The preaching is so sick, it, it makes me sick and I can only weep. And I think we need some reviving. Amen. But I, I bless those ministers that will minister sincerely. Many ministers do not minister the word of God sincerely. They just spew out words with no burden, no faithfulness to the word of God. And I pray that all of you will be faithful to God's word and that God will bless you and honor you where you're at and use you in your life to be effective. Let me go through many scriptures with you. First Thessalonians chapter 2. The nature of a minister and the way that conduct really impacts others bears long and strong of this testimony. <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Verse 10. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Verse 11. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Wow, these men were walking among them day and night with them side by side, but laboring diligently and yet exhorting, comforting and charging them, right? We have a song that we sing, a charge have I to keep, a God to glorify, a never dying soul to save and fit it for the sky. We have some very clear charge as the children of God. Think of a bull charge. Think of the charge of an army. There's clarity, there's purpose, there's vision, there's diligence given. There's a command given. And we have a charge from God. We have a command from God. Let us take heed and let us rush with all endurance because the character of their life was strong. And as they preached and exhorted and testified, they reminded them, do you remember how we lived among you? God bless you if you love Jesus. God bless the fruits of your life. I am inspired by people who will love Jesus. Hello, did you hear me? I'm not just talking nice English. I know a lot of people that say they love Jesus with their mouth. But if I look at their life, I look at their family, I look at their work, I look at their things, it's hard to find Jesus. It's hard to find an evidence of zeal. It's common that people just drift on and say, I love Jesus. I come to church, I go to work, I do my duty, I'm faithful. Can we work a long job and still be faithful to God? Absolutely. But really, where is your heart? Where is your zeal? We will know by how you use your time. I always use these words. Please don't get distracted with over-familiar words. Your time, this clock is going to testify against you on the judgment day. I pray that we'll take it seriously because it's wonderful. When you find a family that loves God, you're like, yeah. And then you can ask them the practicals of their life and you can be excited. Oh, but if we're all lukewarm and lazy, then we can all talk together about every casual thing and be as cool as can be. And you could search our lives together and we'd all look about the same. You know, as judging ourselves by the conduct of others and assuming ourselves wise as fools. Comparing ourselves among ourselves as the unwise. 
But oh, I pray that we'd have some spark plugs, some fiery brothers and sisters. Fine, we all have areas of immaturity. The more outgoing, they show their immaturity a little more. The quiet can hide it a little more. Right? Everyone's considered wise until they open their mouth. Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps his silence. But there's a blessing when there's a conduct that goes with it. A life. And beloved, your children will follow your example, even whether you liked it or not. And they might not follow fully, and they might turn aside from the Lord, but they're solid pillars of principle that are imparted to their life through the things they heard and saw and experienced in you, the command you gave, the charge you gave, why you gave it. Just so you could look good in public? Sit still. Do this. Do that. Do this. Do that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. But why did you communicate such things? If we help our children and our brothers and sisters in the church get to the heart of the issue, the root of the issue, then we know, oh, why are we doing this? Oh, because we want to honor God. Otherwise, they learn the gig. Okay, mom says be nice. Okay, well, if I'm not nice in the store and I say, give me that candy, then I can get that candy. Okay, mommy, I'll be nice. Okay, you'll give me the candy. Yeah, okay. And then the little stubborn, selfish child says, I get what I want. I just had to throw a little fit, and I could manipulate. Human beings are amazing. But, beloved, many people try to manipulate God. That, God, I want your blessing, financial blessing. I want blessing because I don't want to suffer financial difficulty. I don't want to plant the crops and have them all dead. And I don't want to work hard and lose all the money. And, Lord, just please bless me. Lord, please bless me. So one man of God wrote, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, is all I ever hear. No one weeps, no one cries, no one even sheds one tear. May the Lord help us to be sensitive. Now, I want, with all of my heart, to love Jesus. And if that's really true, you can search out my life. You could uh, nestle your ear up to the, the prayer closet when I'm teaching my little girls some life and communication. Why am I teaching them what I'm teaching? Why are we talking about what we're talking about? Why do we guide conversations in the way we do? Why do we teach what we teach? Beloved, may God bless you as you seek to impart life and zeal and fiery coals into your children. God bless you. Those that have already had them grown and maybe many gone, still, thank God for seeds that are sown, but we don't want to lose that intimacy of relationship. Now you just have to let them go more, but yet you can still speak those things and they know you care about their soul. They know you really care about their zeal for God. That's a testimony and a half. That still we ask, Hey, son, how's your prayer life? I remember the fiery prayer meetings, weeping, crying out to God and how he answered, how he opened doors, how he closed doors, how he set people free, how he saved people, how he delivered people. I remember the power of God. Do you remember that, son? The things that God did. Let's pray again. And I'm very sorry that that's not the condition of most homes. That's not the condition of almost all churches. Most churches. Many people are distracted, and we play church. We come together. We smile, we talk, we chit-chat, we hear some nice messages, we feel nice, and we go home. That is not God's will. Now, I'm not just always trying to be the extravagant one, the radical one. I want to stir you just so you get excited or get angry at me. I've been uninvited to more churches probably than I've been invited to. (laughs) But I pray that you would really have that heart And no matter where you are and what church you're a part of, I pray that God would give you that desire and zeal that you really want to love God and you want to lay yourself open and say, hey, is there anything in my life that you think that God wants to change or that I should change? 
When children can say that to parents and we can say that to each other as brothers and sisters, I want to be Christ-like. Do you see any strengths in me I should work on? Do you see any weaknesses that need dealing? Hello? I like practical discipleship. When I got saved, I got solid. Why? Because I was willing to repent of all sin and I had some good guidelines. They said, now memorize these scriptures and do this and do that and do this and do that. And discipleship is good. Some practical discipline and coaching. No one just wakes up in the morning and goes to run a marathon. There's training. Now you can be a powerful man of God right away, just upon sincere repentance and deep dealing. But your walk is only as solid as your repentance. If you are thoroughly repenting, thoroughly turning from all sin, what a glory. You're willing to cast off everything you know is bad and even things that are questionable and even things that other people have told you you shouldn't do and you're just like, Okay, well, I just love Jesus, and this isn't that important. Just set it aside. Hello? God will honor that. He'll give you heavenly light and guide you spiritually, give you stability, strength, clarity, wisdom, understanding, love, compassion, a special anointing that you could function as a servant of God in the unique way God would use you. I mean, I was 18 when I started preaching. People hated me because I was on fire. Well, thank God I got saved. Like, you don't know the hell that I lived in, the wickedness of evil that I was incarnate in. And I was free. And many people weren't free. And they'd be like, you just think you're spiritual, you little. And my people wanted to fight. I was used to that in jail. So it took some grace of God when he said, if you love me, you keep my commandments and you love your enemy and you bless those who curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. My, law, my prayer list got really long, really fast. But God gave me grace to love them. They would snarl at me and they'd just want to wring my neck and God would give me grace just to... Convey myself through the multitude. I don't know how, but it was God. Why do I share that with you? Because God will use your life wonderfully. You don't have to wait. Why wait so long to grow up and mature? I've met some 12-year-old children, 11, 12, 13-year-old children that have spiritual gravity and maturity. That's exciting. They can't do all the same things that an adult might be able to do physically or have all the understanding in knowledge-wise, but the foundation and the wisdom and the communication and opportunity for growth and counsel and correction even. In humility, children can correct their parents. Most parents don't want to hear it. Who do you, you say that I'm being mean to your mom? You, you just wait till you get married. You... Listen again. Okay, Paul is saying, beloved believers, you remember how that we labor with labor and travail, laboring night and day because we not, would not be chargeable unto any of you, but we preached unto you the gospel of God. Your witnesses also, okay, your witnesses and God also. Your witnesses and God also. You have witnessed our life, our doctrine, our teaching, our exhortations, our commandments, everything we've spoken to you. You are witnesses and God is also witness. Can we say that over this last month? Yes, Lord, I have used my time for your glory. Okay, pause. Selah. Can we stop now and say, yes, Lord, I have used my time for this last month fully for your glory. I think we need to give an account for everything. We should be sober now before it's too late. When you're dead, you're not going to be able to go back and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, God, let me go back and make that right. <laughs> I, can, I can use my time wisely. Just give me another day. 
Could I add to this record, this roster? Now, if you're not using your time for the glory of God, if you're not using your time wisely as a life filled with love for God and the wisdom of his spirit, then let's pray. Lord, I want to be led by your spirit. I'm not just going to say, Lord, I'm just going to do this, 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 and this, and this, because, well, it's just my duty. I got my work to do. I'm just doing my thing because you gave it to me. I just pray and I share this as a rebuke, exhortation, command. Be very sensitive to your spiritual life because if you are weak in prayer, you are weak everywhere. If you are wasting your time and you're not getting up early to seek God, early is relative. It just means take serious time in the morning. Give at least an hour, hour and a half, two hours. How could you ever grow on one hour? My, you eat three hours in a day. I thought our life evolves around eating. I thought we, we eat, then we have a meeting, then we eat, then we have break time, then we eat, and then we sleep, and then it's like, and we get up again in the morning. What about spiritual food? You love food more than God or what? You know, these lazy gluttons, evil beasts, liars, like the Christians. The Bible said, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Hey, you're a lazy liar. Get up. I mean, that would be offensive to me as a Christian. And I'd be like, well, they said it so... And Paul said, do that so that they might be sound in the faith. We need some practical rebuke once in a while. Get up early and seek God. Okay, maybe you go to bed late. I found that most of the time people are lazy and that's why they're up late. Usually just casually, foolishly wasting time. Was it really for the utmost of his glory? Was your prayer time, your meditation, your time in the word, was it from the heart? Did you enjoy at night? If you are, there are some people that would rather fiery pray at night because everyone else is sleeping or they really are giving their energy and heart and time to God and so they don't have as much time in the morning. That's there. But usually I found that those that are really radical and fiery at night, they're still fiery in the morning. By the grace of God, there was a long season where I slept for four hours a day. And I would shut in at like nine o'clock and I would pray and seek the face of God to like midnight, wake up at four o'clock. Actually, it was 11 and then I would wake up at three and I would wake up and seek God. The same burning fire that was in my heart at night, it helped me to wake up in the morning. I woke up and said, praise, thank you, Jesus. And go and pray and seek the face of God again. There's a desire. Okay, I'm challenging you because you're gonna give an account for your time. And if you're not seriously seeking God fervently, if you're not walking right with God, you are wasting your time and your energy. Now, I'm trying not to give you some legalistic thing like one hour. Maybe it'll be three hours for you. God will say, I have special grace for you. I have a special calling for you. You sit down quietly for three hours with me. You can pace back and forth, pray, jump up and down, sing, scream, shout, hallelujah, whatever God gives you. But for the glory of God, do it. (laughs) Hello, I love you, okay? I'm not trying to be legalistic on you. And don't frown, I'm not telling you, wake up at three o'clock in the morning. But you need to wake up. So if you have school that starts at nine, I'd say you better be getting up at at least five and give serious time to God. Amen. So what does that mean? You gotta go to bed on time. Just do something to give serious energy. Because if I were to ask you, what time do you go to bed? What time do you wake up? you'd be able to clearly testify what time you sleep and what time you wake up. I could ask you the question, why? Why do you go to bed at such and such a time? And if you ask me, I'll say, for the glory of God, I go to bed at such and such a time. So what time do you wake up at such and such a time? Because it's for the glory of God. So I can give time and energy to God before I start my day. Do you understand? 
This is practical Christianity. God loves us. He wants time with us. When we are walking with him and seeking him fervently, we just have practical wisdom to just do everything else. Martin Luther said, I have to wake up. I used to wake up at four o'clock or something and pray fervently and seek God. He said, now I have to wake up at three o'clock. I have so much more work to do. And if I don't get extra time in prayer, I'm not going to have the understanding and wisdom to be able to deal with it. Well, beloved, the greater the level, the greater the devil. Get up earlier. Seek God fervently and pray. And I guarantee you, after hardly a week of doing that, you'll have victory. Now, yes, I've counseled people. I help with practical discipleship, and you need a practical wake-up time. Keep that wake-up time, and if you need more sleep, go to bed earlier, because if your body is disciplined to wake up at a certain time, it's easy to wake up at that time. So if you need more sleep, then go to bed earlier, and you'll find as you slowly trim off time, you trim it off the backside and not the wake-up time. Otherwise, that snooze button becomes your best friend. Okay, some people laugh. You know that so, practical discipline, why? Why do we have any disciplines in the Christian life? For the sake of godliness, that we might know him more and be changed more into his image. Then, as we go through our day, we can be led by the Spirit. No matter how busy we are, no matter how much we work, we have given the first to God, and we want his will in all things. So, if you really love Jesus, your schedule will tell it. May I consult with your schedule to see really how much do you really love Jesus? Not judging carnally. You can even lay your schedule out and you ask God. So Lord, what do you think of my schedule? For we must all give an account. We must all give an account. Well, usually with your schedule is work, as we're matured men, and we have certain works to do, certain duties, certain jobs. You have to make money. Why? The tragedy in the Indian system in India is that people teach and train. They're ready to live and die. We'll cut off arms and legs of our own with a butter knife, probably. They're so drastic, saying, we will live and die for this one thing, to give education. Study hard, get good grades. Why? So that you can get a good job and get out of whatever. Why? so that your grandchildren can get a good education and a good job. Why? And that's the whole endless circle of answers. Do you realize what people live for? You realize the rut that we can get stuck in? Why do you do what you do? Do you have a vision? Your children are going to follow your example in many, many, many of those things. If it's solid wisdom and they want wisdom, they have a clear path before them. If they're stubborn, selfish, and rebellious, they'll run from it. But there's still that loud testimony that's going to come back on the judgment day and say, remember your father's schedule. And you'll tremble in fear as you know, yes, God, I knew my whole life what I should be doing, and I wasn't doing it. I knew what I should have for priorities, but I didn't have them. You remember your preacher that you sat under so long. You loved him. He was a nice guy. Do you remember his schedule? Do you remember the testimony of his life? Do you remember his labor, his travail, his commands? Do you remember the charges that he gave in the sight of God? Do you remember the comfort that was ministered? Paul urges these things for what purpose? Verse 12, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. 
I'm excited by the testimony of what God does and how he speaks and how you can receive the word of God and how your life can just flourish in spiritual blessing and joy and peace and purpose. Because if you are seeking God and if you're really loving him with all your heart, the rest of the things will fall into place, no matter how much chaos might be there, no matter how difficult this world is. If you really love God, it will be evident in how you use your time. Amen. There's a commandment that says, love God with all. If you have much energy, love him with all. You have much understanding, love him with all. If you have little understanding, love him with all. You have much strength or little strength, you still have to love him with all. And if you use your time and energy wisely, God will honor and reward. Somebody who's alone, stuck in a situation that they can't have as much time to seek God, what do they do with what they have? Because God doesn't look the way man looks, but God says, I have given you all of these things, and these are emergency issues, life and death, and if you don't do it, people might die and situations might happen. You have this duty. Now love me with all your heart. Now you have 10 minutes free. What are you thinking? Oh, I wish I had my cell phone so I could play with whatever, Snapchat or some other social media thing. I want to see what's going on in the world. I want to look at Google News. Or are you going to say, God, I only have this 10 minutes in my whole day. God, I am here fervently to seek you. How many of you have made the bathroom your prayer closet? I mean, many times I go to the bathroom, like knock on the door and like, hello? (laughs) You praying in there? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But I've many times, almost every time when I'm in difficult situations like work, when I get to the bathroom, just pray, Lord, thank you for mercy. God, help me to communicate. Give me wisdom. God, please don't let this opportunity close. God, please fill me today with your fire. Lord, I'm very busy, God, but please give me your heavenly wisdom that when my mind is busy, that I would still be refreshed by your spirit. And then, bam, you come out of the bathroom and you shine again. Wash your hands, wash your face, and freshed up. Beloved, where is your heart? Right? You might be busy, but when your mind is free, where does it go? You're just kind of like, oh, relax, cruise control, you know, give me some... You know, rock and roll or something. A lot of people just want some music. Not even for the glory of God, just something to fill the air to just kind of go, ah. I pray that we'd be very sober about using our heart, time, mind, and energy wisely for the purpose that we might walk worthy of the Lord. But Paul's desire was to live for the glory of God. As he lived for the glory of God, he desired to communicate effectively by life and by example, by doctrine, by truth, by rebuke, by correction, by commandment. And his desire was not merely to be found faithful, but that others also might grow into the image of Jesus. And so the purpose of his existence was not just to say, oh God, see, I'm so faithful, but rather God, I want to be faithful and love you. And I want to see my brothers and sisters enter into your fullness. That's practical love. That's true Christianity. Do you understand Love your neighbor as yourself. God, I love you enough. And I understand true love for myself is to do what you want because you want fellowship with me. And I am most blessed and most satisfied. And I love you the same because if you will walk with God in him and you, you will be the most blessed and the most satisfied. I want what he wants because it's for your good and his glory. I want what he wants and it's for my good and for his glory. And that's why I want you to walk right with God because it's your greatest blessedness, your greatest good and his greatest glory. Why do we do what we do for his glory? How does it impact personally? When we can communicate that truth, whereby even some might get saved, whereby people hear the truth and are convicted, encouraged, and so on. 
Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. I'm only preaching for an hour this morning. I've been blessed with liberty the other times. Today is a special day of more fellowship as we say goodbye, so uh, we'll have more fellowship time after the meeting. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus. Isn't that a powerful exhortation? Isn't that a powerful thrust? We exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as you have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more, for ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even our sanctification, that we should abstain from fornication. Verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Isn't that interesting? Look at all the commands he gave, practical, personal commands. Many things that he spoke to people in commands were not necessarily things ever written anywhere. They were just the biblical principles of the Old Testament. He didn't say, now I'm giving you the Ten Commandments and these are all that I'm giving you. You interpret them yourself, now God will lead you. Well, he lived a practical life and he loved the people practically. He saw practical issues. And if you love your neighbor, if your neighbor is in sin to destruction, you rebuke them. Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also might learn. Beloved, practical life. If I love my children, I'm going to tell them, nope, stop, don't do that, that's dangerous. Well, don't play with that, you're going to hurt somebody. That's very serious. Okay, now we don't want to touch that. Why do we get so thin-skinned? Why do we get so lazy? We've like neutered most of the preachers today. We just don't want any boldness, no guts, no communication, no strength, nothing to convict. Just make us happy. And we will heap to ourselves teachers having itching ears. And if you're not one of them, then you're not part of the heap. Get out of here. That's what people do. We don't want that fiery. We don't want that example. It makes me feel uncomfortable. When I listen to this preacher, it doesn't make me happy. Well, if you're not holy, you're not going to be happy. And if you really want to follow God, God will give practical revelation as to practical application. And the preacher that really loves God will be happy because he's one that must give an account before God for every word that he's spoken, if it's right or not. And if it's right, he's going to hold you account to it. And the more you resisted the good, the more you resisted the the rules or the commands or whatever else, the more punishment will come upon you. Judgment based on your obedience or disobedience. As Christians, we won't go to hell for our sins. If we're genuine believers and we've believed on Christ and we walk in communion with him, we love him, we keep his commandments, but we'll be tried so as by fire and and our works can be burnt up. And wow, what destructions we might have caused in the lives of others. We'll, We'll sorrow. Maybe there'll be the tears on the day of judgment when God shows us everything that we could have been or everything that he wanted or how our sins or our compromises hurt and destroyed other people's lives. I mean, what an amazing time for reckoning because we don't have eternal vision right now, but it's sobering. So why do we share sharply with one another? Because we want to provoke one another. Now, I'll tell you, of all the sermons I've ever found or searched out online of most churches, I hear a lot of nice things often and a lot of heresies often. Many of my friends ask, what church should I go to? And then I look up online, I listen to sermons and so on. But it's a very sad situation to hear what I'm hearing everywhere that I'm hearing it. We hear very little ever on the wrath of God, sin, 
judgment, holiness, hell, we hear very, very little. But one preacher said, I think it was A.B. Earl said, I believe that the severest threatenings of the law of God have a prominent place in leading men to Christ. They need to know their loss before ever they'll be saved. It's very interesting because that's a far gone concept. He was a great revivalist, saw great fruits, great effect. When people really see their sin, then they understand what repentance really is. Godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world works death. When we are convicted unto response, convicted unto sorrow, convicted unto action, and we make an action of repentance, turning from and turning to, from sin to God. Did you hear all of these words? A lot of times people are like, legalism, legalism. But if your preacher really has a heart from God, let's encourage them in that. Let's meet together often to pray. Let's open up our lives to any of the most godly among us and say, hey, sister, you really love Jesus. Why don't you speak into my life? Here's my whole life. I had a a famous preacher's grandson come to me, and he said, brother, I've watched you for a year now. He said, I have classmates above me and classmates with me, and you're just a little junior, but I want you to mentor me, disciple me. He said, I've watched your life, and you really walk with God. This is in an atmosphere of a Bible college with so much training, teaching, and so much opportunity. But they said, I've seen your life. There was 60-some people, maybe 60 men, that could have been able to speak something. But there's something of our life and spiritual maturity. Beloved, would you say that? That I want more love, and you are an amazing person of love. Would you teach me how I could be more loving? I want this compassion for others. I want to serve people the way you do. You labor so diligently to serve. You, you are so diligent to stop what you're doing and serve others or, or sow or do these things. Help me to know how I could manage my time so I could serve people the way you do. Right? Examples of Jesus. Now there might be a billion things. If we brought out every good gift and ability and desire and opportunity you have, we could have a million different fruits of the Spirit in this room. And we're a law unto ourselves. When we see something beautiful of Jesus, we say, oh, that's of Jesus. Oh, and our hearts are so happy, right? That's why I'm happy when I meet people. Even though I haven't spent a lot of time, days and weeks, one-on-one with every single one of you, I've seen your life. I've seen your labor. I've had meetings with you and fellowship with you for many years. And I see the fruits of your life and your communications. And I always have those things in the back of my heart and mind. So when I see people, I, they say, do you remember me? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember A lot more than you know. (laughs) I know very well. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so it's a joy when I find the godly. And it's an excitement when I see somebody that I know that their countenance used to be dark and now they're beaming. And it's like, what's going on in your life? What happened? Right? It's exciting. Beloved, do we care for each other? Are we communicating things honestly and simply? Is our whole communication upright before God? Paul said, you saw me, you knew me, you watched me, you heard me, you followed our commandments. He said, for ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord. Okay, so he exhorted them on so many things, a practical application. Now We're talking about a heathen generation, a wicked generation. If you were to plop down in the middle of a drug house and everybody said they want to get saved, now what are you going to say to them? If they tell me everything, tell us everything we need to do in our life. What should we change like right now? <laughs> Hello, do, do you know I could start making a list? And do you know if they listen to that, they'd be really blessed with a good solid foundation. <laughs> First of all, get rid of your drugs. Get rid of your 
articles, get rid of your, your uh, illegal stuff and get rid of your wicked stuff and get rid of this uh, Christian liberty stuff, you know, get rid of this alcohol and all your trash, throw it outside, let's have a burn barrel. Then make a choice of who you're going to spend your time with when, you're, when you leave this place and so on. And we could have a lot of practical guidances for discipleship. I'm saying that to you because I think that if you are really serious, you might find a friend or a mentor and you could say, hey, can you help me tighten up my schedule? You know, I'm very wise, I'm very studious, but hey, could you help me maybe figure out how I could use my time and energy more wisely, whereby I could be more fruitful to God and to my family and to society and to the church? Do we want that type of encouragement, mentoring, counseling, discipleship? Do you understand? It's not just about make you like me. But rather, hey, you have strengths. Why don't you do this with your strengths? And then you're like, hey, wow, I never thought about that. And if I stop doing this and start doing that, do you realize how much less depression we'd have in the church if people actually started serving one another? I study a lot of psychology in that matter. It's kind of funny that they come to all the biblical conclusions. We could have told them that just from the Bible a couple thousand years ago. (laughs) And yet man in his pride tries to cut God out of it and make up every other thing. Well, he said, you saw us, you learned of us, we gave you clear commandments, we gave you clear guidances, and you flourish because of that. Why? Because God loves you. And now your life is flourishing, it blesses your family. Why? Because God loves your family. Hello. Jesus died for his church. Why? Because he loved the world. He poured into Israel, gave them wisdom and understanding and guidance, and that the world would look and say, what nation is like this nation that have statutes and judgments so great that have God so nigh unto them in all that they call upon him for. The world will look and see that I am with you and the world will come to you to see me and to know me and to learn of me. And that's why God loves the church. And that's why the preacher loves brothers and sisters. That's why the body loves each other. That's why the families are edified. That's why the world around us sees and experiences Jesus because he chose to meet his people and that his people would be an extension of his love. Amen? We know that, but we forget it. But this is the pry bar that God said, I loved you practically. Now you love each other practically. Serve practically. I cry for you sometimes that it's possible that you could miss your purpose. You can miss your vision. You could miss what God has for your life because you're just distracted, diverted or lazy or backslidden or spiritually immature. Areas can come up. God, help us not to fall into that. God, help us to just walk simply with the Lord. May he help us to have this tenderness towards his spirit. 2 Thessalonians chapter 6. I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. 2 Thess 3, 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. <laughs> what do you think of that scripture? Paul said, I'm commanding you. I'm not under the law, Paul. I'm under grace. Grace, grace is the sinner's lullaby. If he's not willing to repent, it's not the power of God to deliverance. It's his lullaby to laziness. Hey, you know what a lullaby is? A little tender song to put a little child to sleep. I don't like lullabies, by the way, but anyways, we don't practice singing them. I don't want a lullaby you to sleep. I want to wake you up. If the house is on fire, I want to wake up the child. I don't want them to sleep. 
The world's going to hellfire and people in our families are going to hellfire. People in our church are going to hellfire. If I shake the crib, don't blame me. Okay, I love you. Get up! (laughs) Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that you withdraw yourself from every brother (laughs) that walketh disorderly. Ouch! Orderly or disorderly. You know, we have a a crime called disorderly conduct. I've had a lot of those. You know that one? I've had a lot of those. Hallelujah, thank God I'm saved now. Since I've been saved, I never got one disorderly conduct from the law. (laughs) Never one ticket. (laughs) I'm sure against the devil's kingdom, yeah, he's, he's angry at me all the time. But acting in an inappropriate manner, whatever it is, aggression or violence or something wrong or something bad. But very interestingly, people can walk disorderly. They're not walking in right ways. They're not walking orderly. You'll see them by their life, their fruit, their action, their conduct, their communication. And somebody will come in, and there might not be lying, swearing, cheating, stealing, abusing, but I will shut it down immediately. I've chased people um, out of my house. I've chased people out of places and said, do not come in here with that music. Do not come in here with that language. And the things you're communicating, not in this place. (sighs) Because I care for the people. And I don't want our young people are so, you know, easily moved to be hearing some ungodliness. Whereby their their minds are defiled and they're discouraged and encouraged to ungodly things. If any man be called a brother, if anyone's even a brother walking disorderly. And not after the, the tradition which he received of us. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he carries a loaded package with that communication. It means that he was communicating a lot of things to them that were not written out as rules in the scripture. And for good reason. The command is solid and clear and expounds more than you can imagine. Love God with all can be expounded and inspired by the Spirit to give you a million practical guidances in your life. But in those times, I'm sure he gave very many practical guidances. Just as if we brought somebody to you, you in practical wisdom could give them some very good, clear counsels. Amen. We don't need to pay a doctor to say, well, if you're allergic to something, don't eat it. I had a doctor tell me that. And then my daughter said, well, mommy called the doctor and the doctor said, no more monkeys jumping on the bed. Because the monkey fell off and bumped his head. I said, isn't that funny? That's exactly what the doctor said. Well, if you fall off and hit your head, then just don't jump on the bed. I'm like, Did I have to pay you so much money to tell me that? My beloved, sometimes people don't have common sense and we need to love each other and give practical communications. Like, hey, son, I can tell you really like this girl, but here's some wise guidelines. Amen? (laughs) Okay, next. Practical guidelines, practical communications after the traditions which you have received of us. Things that have been passed on and carried on, practical wisdom, practical guidance, the nation of Israel and of all the laws and statutes and judgments. He didn't say, let me write you a new Ten Commandments. Let me expound for you the Ten Commandments more thoroughly so you can be really wise. But hey, we got some very serious things that we need to deal with. We can be changed. God changes us. And then it's no longer trying to guide a horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control, right? A good obedient horse, I hear, can be guided by just the sound, right? I don't know, i hardly ever seen those horses, and I, I don't like horses, like I said. But, you know, some are led by just a gentle nudge. And yes, I've ridden a few of them, but gentle nudge, and they follow. 
Why? Because they've been broken. Hello, do you want godliness? We could give you a gentle nudge how you could be more fruitful. Right? Does that sound better than command? Gentle nudge. But because you have a heart to be more like Jesus, you said, okay, hey, I'm willing to try it. You said, don't do this, 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 and seek God instead of doing that. Okay, let me try. I want to love Jesus more. Hello? Where does the problem come when self rises? Me first, my want, my way, my will. Have you ever had that issue? Okay, next. <laughs> Even to withdraw from every brother that walketh disorderly, <clears throat> and not if the tradition you receive. Verse 7. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. That is deep. <laughs> you know how you should follow us. Wow. God, give us such men and women. Amen. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught. We weren't just selfish indulgent. We gave and we served and we worked. But wrought, we worked with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable unto any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. One thing he taught them, don't take advantage of people just because you are blessed and skilled with the information they need. He wasn't trying to sell the gospel, but he said, you know, the scripture says that thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. And he said, God wrote it for our sake. No doubt this is written. But we haven't used this liberty that we might even be able to serve you faithfully by the blessing of others providing whereby we can serve you. There's principles passed on. God bless you, fathers, on Father's Day. God bless the example that we've had of men of God from the past. And I wanted to read that hymn, and that's a neat blessing again. This song could be sung this morning as we meditate on those things. <clears throat> Let me read for you this song. Faith of our fathers, living still. In spite of dungeon, fire, and sword, oh, how our hearts beat high with joy whene'er we hear that glorious word. Faith of our fathers, holy faith, we will be true to thee till death. Amen. What does the word faith mean? It means the standard of truth that was believed. It means that the Lord Jesus Christ and our experience with him, right? We should earnestly contend for the faith which was delivered to the saints, the truths that pertain to our faith. We stand upon them. We have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We have received his salvation as he has promised. That's a neat blessing. And beloved, there's a conduct. Right? It's, the scripture says there was found in them an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. So it's not just a casual faith of like faith or just not believing. It's actually stubborn disbelief. There's a moral attribute to it. It's not just like, well, whether it's there or not, it's not moral. No, it's extreme moral. There is a pertaining to right and wrong. There is right and wrong in it. It wasn't just a lack of faith. It was a stubborn heart of faith. It was an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. It wasn't just a lack of revelation from God. It was a stubborn resistance to the truth of God. And that's why God cut off the whole nation, that they have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God, but they went about to establish their own righteousness. They weren't ready to submit to God in spirit and in truth. But this faith of our fathers, we could say also, is their conduct, their action of faith, whose faith 
follow considering the end of their conversation, right? We follow their faith. We follow what they believed and why they did what they did. Do you understand? I might be dead this year, but you'll remember the messages. You'll, you'll listen again with new vigor when you hear an audio message and you're like, I remember that brother and I'd known him for many years and he was faithful and consistent. That's a blessing. And wow, I really understand what he's saying now. And wow, I really respect him now. Then I didn't really respect him, but hey, I do now, now that he's dead. I really like him. Sometimes people don't like you until you're dead. Hallelujah. Well, it's truth anyhow. I mean, I think a lot more people love Leonard Ravenhill now than when he was alive. And the same with many other preachers. Well, I hope you'd love me now also and, uh, you know, after this life also. But there's a blessing of practical life whose faith follow. Remember this faith of those fathers of the faith that have gone before us, those men of God that were powerful, those men that labored and suffered and served, those men on the mission fields that, that worked hard to, to labor among souls, sowing truth, translating scriptures, agony night and day, and God glorified his name. They maybe got no name, no praise, no blessing from men. But beloved, whatever it is that we know of the fathers that have gone before us, may God be glorified in that. May he stir our heart with fresh zeal. Faith of our fathers, living still. In spite of dungeon, fire, and sword, oh, how our hearts beat high with joy whene'er we hear that glorious word. The word of God, our faith founded upon the word. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is everything he said he is, and we believe it. Faith of our fathers, holy faith, we will be true to thee till death. Our fathers chained in prisons dark were still in heart and conscience free. How sweet would be their children's fate if they like them could die for thee. Faith of our fathers, holy faith, we will be true to thee till death. Faith of our fathers, we will strive to win all nations unto thee. And through the truth that comes from God, we all shall then be truly free. Faith of our fathers, we will love both friend and foe in all our strife. And preach thee too, as love knows how, by kind words and virtuous life. Faith of our fathers, holy faith. We will be true to thee till death. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have a standard before us. We know of men and women that have walked with you radically and wholeheartedly. We know of those that have gone before us in the faith. We know, Lord, those whom history venerates and honors. We know the testimonies that have been passed on, songs of our faith written through deep suffering and agony, the heritage of godliness and suffering affliction and of righteousness. The word of God testifies from creation till now of the power of God in those who believed, the honor of God upon obedience and how you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And thank you, God, that we say this is the faith that we're committed to. This is the life we live and the legacy we want to leave. That when we are dead, we would be known for our life and our conduct. Not just merely how we talked, but how we walked. And even unto chains and imprisonments and bonds and afflictions. For time would even fail us to tell the extremity of testimony. And yet, Lord, we hear of the practicals of men and women of God. And we want to be powerful and practical. We want the reward that comes from God. There's a special practical to hide before God where no one sees in this prayer closet where the Father sees. And we pray to our Father which is in heaven and our Father which is in heaven will reward 
openly. And Father, we thank you that we know you as a Father who protects and preserves your people. You have never forsaken us. As a Father who loves us and corrects us and disciplines us, that we might be partakers of your holiness, that we might be partakers of your divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world. What a glory of all that we have in you. What a potential of power and provision. Lord, raise up from this place many mighty men and women of God, full of power, powerful in prayer. God, don't let my brothers and sisters just think of how good the preacher is, how nice this brother Don is. Oh, how he's so blessed. Lord, let them see of how they might be blessed in God because there's nothing good in us except what comes from you. Let no man praise another man beyond the measure of Jesus. But Lord, that same measure is dealt to every man, the same measure of faith, the same opportunity of blessing, the same opportunity of anointing in spite of the diversity of gifting. Bless the body here to be vibrant. Bless our churches to be filled with fire. Bless us to be filled with zeal and glory and power from on high that we might fulfill the purpose of your coming that we might fulfill your desire for each one of our lives individually. Teach us to pray and to walk and obey, to enjoy your presence and to love you. Bless this fellowship time today. Bless our time of sharing today. Bless the meetings and messages we've heard. Let us apply them that we might have a practical life of blessed wisdom from on high, that we might counsel and guide our generation on how we might walk and to please God. And Lord Jesus, this is the call of the church, and we ought to tell the world, our politicians, our neighbors, our friends, our families, everyone, everywhere, that this is the truth of God. This is sin. Let's get right with God. And everyone should hate us for truth if they hate you. And everyone should appreciate us for the truth we preach because they know it's true. But Lord, we're too casual in this world, and the world gets along too well with us. We're so easily distracted by so many things that just pinch our flesh or annoy us in the flesh. Lord, let us be really angry about the things that make you angry. And Lord, when you laugh, let us also laugh. Lord, we will laugh, God, with you because we want to have that place of faith and communion with you where none of these things move us. And yet we speak the solid truth of God unwavering. No matter whether people beat us, no matter whether people hate us, the church of God will shine with this testimony. So Lord, help us, Lord, not just to be casual, professed Christians. Let us genuinely have love and let us warn the unruly and comfort the feeble-minded and support the weak and be patient toward all men and to see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among ourselves and to all men, to pray without ceasing and in everything to give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, and we know this is the will of God, even our sanctification. Lord, would you let us be changed in your image, let us be provoked, that none of our time, our energy, our mind, our money would be wasted. None of our gifts and talents that you have given us would be buried in the dirt because we were too busy playing in the dirt. But Lord, let us really seek your face that each gift and talent might be used for the utmost of your glory. That's what you desire. That's what we desire as brothers and sisters to love each other practically, to be guided by your spirit. We thank you for this fellowship, this time, and this mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we 